Good morning. It is February 21st, and the crazy weather in upstate New York just continues. It's going to be 50 degrees for the next three days, and then snow by the weekend. Well, that's why we do indoor gardening. Good morning. My name is Greg Dreis. I am the host of the Indoor Gardener podcast, and a lifelong gardener, horticulturist, been in the lawn and garden business for over four decades. And now that I'm semi-retired, I run my own garden design company. I used to do some talk radio, some TV, and some commercials. And now in the world of podcasting, I can do what amounts to a radio show and not have to visit a studio. Our podcast, as the name implies, is The Indoor Gardener, where we're spending um, every episode talking about the trends in indoor gardening, the how-tos, the what-nots. And as we get towards the end of winter, or at least with March around the corner, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about choosing planters. Because I know there's a, a lot of folks that are buying new plants or buying baby plants, or you wait until late winter to up pot or transplant your new plants, or you're out shopping on President's Weekend, you come home with new furniture or new paint for your living room, and the pots you have don't match your decor anymore. So what's great about the explosion in gardening is the myriad of planters that are out there. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're going to talk about what's happening right now and I see as a, as a trend online in several of the indoor garden groups I'm in is there seems to be an all-out attack on terracotta planters clay pots in general, that they are the worst thing for your plants. They dry out too quickly. They kill plants. Uh, it's just an attack and from what I call the Epsom salts mafia. And they're so deliberate in their attack on terracotta that you, you can't change their minds. So we're going to set the record straight today. And the fact that choosing your planter is totally a, a personal choice of whether you're using decorative ceramics, uh, terracotta pots that are glazed on the inside so they don't leak water all over the place without a tray, regular plastic fabric pots, which are not so much used for indoor gardening, but if you have a greenhouse attached to your home, they're wonderful for that. And anything that you have around the house to make your own planter out of, uh, Margarine tubs, for instance, make nice little planters. Some of the deeper square butter tubs make nice planters. Planters without drainage holes, planters with drainage holes, and self-watering pots. Well, first of all, the container that you choose to grow in, like I said, is a matter of personal choice. And over anything, it should be something you can you can afford, first of all, because... A black nursery pot is certainly much cheaper and less decorative than a fancy Malaysian ceramic. So when I'm buying containers, I, you know, I let the typical, uh, the male in me come out and I, I find it hard to spend more on a container than I do the plant itself. So, and that's just because that's not only the guy in me, that's that's the horticulturist in me. That's the person in the garden center or maybe growing stuff for resale. That's just the, the, the attitude there. But certainly, 
Um, black nursery containers are perfectly fine to grow in. Many of them are, are recyclable. They just don't look very pretty in anything but a greenhouse or outside. They don't match a lot of indoor decors, of, of course. So you choose the pot that you can afford and just go with it. And don't feel bad if you're using a black nursery container because it's all you could afford or all you want to grow in because there's nothing wrong with that at all. But certainly it is a part of indoor design trends with all the fancy colors that are out there to, for decoration purposes and aesthetic purposes to get a container that matches your indoor gardening area. So at that point, you're probably at uh, the shiny plastic pots or the, the glazed ceramic pots. Now let's talk about clay pots. Clay pots were probably the first containers that many of us used because there was not a lot of plastic pots around back in the day and nursery containers just weren't something we grew in. Um, our grandparents, or my grandparents anyway, when they were growing, that's probably all they used because the clay was cheap. Uh, terracotta is still cheap, even though most of it's imported from Italy right now. And there's other nice German terracotta, and there's still a few domestic terracotta planter makers. And <clears throat> the reason terracotta was used, it was plentiful, it was very forgiving of overwatering, and it still is to this day. Terracotta is very affordable. Maybe when I say it's what my grandparents used, well, maybe a lot of today's newer gardeners, their grandparents didn't use it because... Some of these newer gardeners that are attacking terracotta might be only in their 20s or 30s. So maybe their grandparents back in the 70s and 80s switched from terracotta to plastic. The, the fact that terracotta does evaporate excess water to me is more of a blessing than it is a, a curse. Because the number one killer of our indoor plants is we take too good a care of them. Okay, it yellow leaves, let's water it. Bright sunny day, let's water it. You got nothing better to do to your plants? Oh, a little water wouldn't hurt. Well, sometimes it does. And with terracotta, they breathe. They breathe just like the fabric pots. What I'm finding is a lot of these same gardeners who are tearing apart terracotta have no problem using the fabric pots for their gardening outdoors. And they do the same thing. They breathe and they wick a lot of moisture out. The advantage of planters that do that is they also help root prune the plants because with when they reach the drier edges, some of the roots will die off and then newer roots will start to grow around there. And root pruning actually helps prevent plants becoming pot bound. So there are certain plants that do better in terracotta than others, of course. Um, if you are growing like gardenias that like to stay wet or very damp or bog plants like pitcher plants and some of the carnivorous plants that grow in very moist environments, terracotta may not be the best for them, especially if you forget to water them. But herbs, I'm even seeing on one of the largest houseplant groups online with over 500,000 members on Facebook, several posts about herbs and you should not even consider using terracotta pots for herbs because basil likes to stay wet. Herbs like to grow in the shade and they like to stay wet. And 
you can't grow herbs in, in terracotta pots. Well, I'm sorry to say that's simply about the furthest thing from the truth. Most of the plants we grow in our gardens, herbs, um, oreganos, thyme, the basils, etc., like that, are Mediterranean plants where it's mostly quite dry and very arid. And they don't like overly wet soils at all. So terracotta just lends itself not only design-wise, aesthetics-wise, cultural-wise, but also for the health of the plant. And basil, I'm sorry to say to that person online that basil does not love shade. It does not love wet soil. It's an arid plant Mediterranean source and tentatively or generally likes to grow hot and dry and like to do like to go a little drier between good solid soakings and that's where terracotta comes in it evaporates all that stuff out of the pot and lets the plant uh, grow in an environment more conducive to where it came from and that also adds in to the flavor of herbs that they the drier the soil the more highly concentrated the essential oils appear to be at least that's that's in that's in my testing or how I when I'm growing outside I find that overwatered herbs that are growing like crazy and saturated generally don't have as much flavor to them could it be just what I'm experiencing sure but if the plant grows in a normal hot dry arid environment why not try to mimic that at home in your garden by growing herbs in, in terracotta? It's simply a matter of getting used to the different plant that you're growing, the different pot that you're growing in. If you're growing in terracotta and you're used to plastic, you're probably going to have to water a little more. That, that's all there is to it. And if the pot does get too dry, you can take the whole clay pot and just dunk it up to the rim or over the rim to resaturate it so that it reduces some of that wicking effect off the soil. But if you're used to growing in plastic and you're watering, you know, I hate to come up with a, a timetable for watering, but if you're watering every seven to 10 days in plastic and you're trying to do the same thing with terracotta, it's probably not going to work, which is a perfect example of not using a calendar to water by. I see this all the time, and I see it on the plant apps. I know I'm going a little wide here on the subject, but these plant apps that you take a picture of the plant, it supposedly tells you what's wrong with it and tells you that you should water it every seven to 10 days. Well, no, because that plant app doesn't know the conditions the plant is growing in, the temperature, the humidity, the wind, the amount of sun, the amount of light, etc., all affects watering. And the biggest thing with terracotta pots versus plastic is you're going to have to water more often because they do transpire moisture through the walls of the container to the atmosphere, thus drying the plant out quicker. So don't say terracotta pots are bad. Just adjust your watering. You'll have to water a little more often, but that's not a bad thing because the plant is transpiring that moisture and it's going to need water a little more often. Now, if you can't handle that or don't want to water all the time plus the fact that you know terracotta pots can be quite heavy and they don't match your decor then stick with plastic there's nothing wrong with the plastic pots 
just be sure not to overwater. And if you have a water tray on the bottom, make sure that the water tray, which keeps the water off your carpets and off your hardwood floors, is not drowning your plants because it's sitting there for too long. Some of my favorite <clears throat> planters are self-watering. Well, it's not self-watering is kind of a misnomer. Your, your plant's not going to walk over and jump in the shower or turn the faucet on and turn it off when it's done. Self-watering simply means there's a reservoir of some kind in the bottom of the pot and an opening on the bottom or a tube at the top that goes down to the bottom. And instead of watering the soil, you fill the reservoir. And how these work is a number of different ways. Uh, if you've ever seen the earth box, the earth box is a very successful oversized window box that you garden in. And it has a large mesh opening to keep the, uh, the, you know, the air and the moisture fresh and from rotting the plants. And a couple places where the water, the soil goes down into the reservoir. And others use wicks like you would see in an oil lamp, but instead of the wick coming up to the top, the wick is in the water on one end, possibly both ends, and then goes across horizontally the bottom of the pot at the, the, the water block and then back down into the reservoir. This works just like an oil lamp does. As the flame on an oil lamp burns, it's burning the oil and the wick the fabric wick transports the oil through its fibers up to the flame to burn. This is how roots work and how plants transpire. As plants transpire moisture out of the leaves through basically what is a siphoning process without going into the exact science of it, <clears throat> and that the fact that water is very cohesive, it tends to stay together. As the plant evaporates, you're siphoning moisture through the leaves, from the roots, and through the soil. And this is how self-watering planters work. They act like an oil lamp. As the plant transpires water through to the atmosphere in the form of vapor, it naturally draws more up, siphons like a straw from the roots, and the roots get that from the soil and the soil gets it from surrounding moisture outside or in a self-watering pot, it gets it from the reservoir that holds anywhere from two to four weeks worth of water in the bottom of that pot. And just like an oil lamp, just like a straw, just like siphoning, it's a steady stream of transpiring water vapor to the air and drawing more water up through the plant tissue from the roots, from the soil, from this reservoir. And they're great if you happen to overwater your plants, which is, again, is the number one killer of new plants. Most of them die because we overwater them. Well, guess what? You can keep watering your plants and not worry about it because instead of applying the water to the top of the soil, you just refill your reservoir. Um, and that way you're not overwatering your plants. And they're great if you go away on vacation. They're great if you have a small plant and you've you got a, a tough work schedule and small planters outside or inside in a sunny window sometimes can need water every single day. This helps eliminate that and also helps to create a, a little bit of a microclimate and keeps the air, I believe, a little more humid 
especially in the winter around the, the plant canopy. Now, one of these folks online says that self-watering planters are only good when you go away for a couple days. They're not good for the long term of the plant. I have never heard that. I find that very hard to believe. And it's just simply not true. Now, fertilizing your plants in self-watering containers. This is something where just sprinkling it on top is probably not going to do that great a job probably won't work. You're probably going to be better off, and I would recommend adding a long-term slow-release fertilizer like Osmoco into your soil before you put it into a self-watering planter. And as the water comes up through the siphoning process and the transpiration process, it's going to be coming in contact with those little timed fertilizer pellets, and it will release that way. Um, granular fertilizers on top, aren't going to work in a self-watering pot. And watering from the top with a diluted fertilizer, it, it's okay, but you're still going to have to remember when the last time you fed your plants was. So use a, a granular fertilizer mixed in the soil, an organic fertilizer mixed in the soil, or Osmocote mixed in your soil before you put it into the self-watering pot, and then you'll be able to take care of feeding along the way. Now, let's get back to terracotta for a bit. If you're worried about the fact that terracotta might wick too much moisture out and you're not going to be around the water, there are glazed terracotta pots that have a coating on the inside that stops most of that, if not all of that transpiration, and it acts like a regular pot and drains out the bottom. So if you like terracotta but don't like the fact that they might dry out too quickly, glazed terracotta pots fit that nice rustic look as well as not drying out too quickly. Now what about pots within a pot? You'll see the the old term called a, a cash po or a cash pot which is a decorative outer pot that you just switch out new plants in because these these pots may be something that matches your decor. Now they don't have drainage holes in them. Instead of going through the process of trying to break your plant by putting a drainage hole in the bottom, then you got to find a saucer for it that matches, which is almost impossible with cash pose. Simply take a regular planter that your plant comes in from the greenhouse, from the nursery, and slide it into this decorative container that matches your decor. And when it's time to water, take it out, water it, leave it in the sink, and then stick it back inside. Now these cash pose also are very good for plants that like to stay somewhat wet. You'll see gardenias sold in stores that are grown in a traditional green nursery container, but then they're stuck inside a white outer container without any drainage holes. Gardenias are kind of boggy and they like to stay on the wet side and kind of thrive on a, a wet soil. So that's the perfect ones for gardenias. And quite often you'll see peace lily spathophyllums grown this way also in commercial nurseries or even at the retail level because when spathophyllum dry out just the least little bit, they go limp. Now I want to talk about spathophyllum for a second here and don't let the plants, the, the branches go limp before watering. If they dry out and, the, and any plant that dries out and the branches and the leaves start to wilt, it's not just telling you it's thirsty. 
it's telling you the plant is in crisis because it does not even have enough water to hold itself erect, spread the leaves out for light to hit it and carry on photosynthesis. The fact that people are saying, wait till your plants go limp and the leaves start to wilt before you water it is just going a little bit too far. And they'll call these plants dramatic. Yeah, they're drama queens, but it's also telling you it's thirsty. Now, do you wait until your throat gets dry and scratchy before you get a drink of water? Do you tell your kids to go outside and play in the hot sun in the summer and then tell them they can't have a drink until an hour after they come in? No, don't do it with your plants, folks. Some of this stuff just gets a little bit ridiculous. And one of the biggest problems with spathophyllum not flowering is because they go dry and it's very difficult to get it to rebloom. Look at African violets. When they either get too crowded, they stop blooming, or if you continuously let it dry out, it's very difficult to get those plants to bloom again. So once again on containers, if you're in any online or social media plant groups and you see the building attack on terracotta planters like I have this past weekend on several different groups and several different posts, don't worry about it. Pay no attention. It's just a matter of adapting your watering practices to the plant and the soil not being stuck to a rigid schedule of every 10 to 14 days, once a week, once a month, etc. How often, how more often are you going to have to water your plants with terracotta? I don't know. Depends on your light, your humidity, any breezes blowing by, and the typical factors that go along with watering. Will you have to water more often? Yeah, most assuredly. And when should you water? Follow the instructions on the plant. And if it says water when the top inch or so of soil is dry, that's when you do it. Depending on the time of year or the container your plant is in, it could be once a week, it could be every two weeks, could be every three weeks. But keep in mind that watering should not be done according to a schedule. And if you're switching from plastic to terracotta plant pots and you're used to watering on a schedule, this is where you're going to think that these folks are right, that terracotta pots kill plants. They do not. If anything, they're a benefit to gardeners who tend to over care for their plants and will overwater them to death. This has been the Indoor Gardener for February 22nd, 2022. And like I said, the reason we garden indoors is because you get to late winter, 50 degrees today in the next three days, and you think, ah, spring is finally here. The weekend shows up and it's another ice storm. You can catch us on Spotify and anchor.fm plus Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, and most other podcast platforms. And if you have a question, you can ask me on my Facebook page, Greg's Lawn Service and Garden Care, or Facebook at The Garden Guy. This has been The Indoor Gardener. I'm Greg Dreis, and happy gardening.